Violet Karamaji grew up in Uganda, where it's the norm for women to rely on men to provide for them financially. Well, when they moved to the UK, Violet and her husband left some of their cultural norms behind. Now, through NetWorth Academy, they teach other couples how to co-own their financial future. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is episode 130. We're your co-hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. Hello. Welcome to the show. So it is the first day of summer in our world. Summer. Was that Olaf? Yeah. <laughs> it was It was like, I'm, there's something, some musicality that's coming out of me from something somewhere about summer and then like half to three quarters of the way through the word. I was like, oh, yeah, it's Olaf from Frozen. In summer. See, okay, that's that what was I meant a, to do. That was a little better. You should have tried for that. So basically I what we're saying is... The whole thing was a setup just for that moment. Too crazy because the kids are already saying they're bored. Yeah. And we need to nip this stuff in the bud, Justin. Yeah. I'm just saying. Chores. Maybe get them to listen to some podcasts. Yep. They're going to listen and transcribe every podcast <laughs> episode we've ever done. <laughs> hey, what a great idea. All right. Okay, I want to clue you into something that we love to share with our audience, and that is our bedroom. That's right. Every... Oh, that sounds so bad when you say it like Thursday that. Thursday at 8 p.m. Central, we are live on our Facebook page, the Legendary Marriage Facebook page. Pillow Talk. We are breaking down the topics from the podcast. You get a glimpse into our life as well as a little bit of ways to infuse it into your marriage as well. And we keep it PG-13. Even though it's live from our bedroom. Okay. And one of those things that we always talk about, people cite it as a reason for divorce, talking about money. Money. We got to talk about the cash, y'all. So today our guest, Violet Carmaggi, is going to help us do that. Get to the talking about money. So here we go with Violet Carmaggi. Hey, we are super excited to be here today with Violet Carmaggi. And she is an accountant and a self-confessed stationary addict. I want to hear about that. Oh. And with over a decade of experience in finance, she co-founded the Net Worth Academy to help people live a life free of chains and to help business owners take back control over their finances. Welcome to the Legendary Marriage Podcast, Violet. Thank you. Oh, we're so glad to have you on the show. So I know part of your story is you and your husband are in this thing together, in this business world together. And we know it can be a crazy ride. Hey, what are you saying? Well, it was kind of funny because I was just making sure that we knew how to pronounce her name when we announced her. And she said she and her husband even argue how to pronounce their last name. So, I mean, (laughs) 
It's just hysterical, the stuff that we find. We have, a, we have just a boring last name, Williams. I know, that's And even if boring. we went with yours, McConnell, yeah. with your maiden name, McConnell, it's just, there, there's nothing, you nothing know, like I've it. often thought about that. Like I, 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 I wish I could kind of go back to the Scottish roots and like come up with something that, that required some oh, sounds, you know? Required you to get a kilt. I know that you're all about that. McWilliams. There you go. That's a good one. There we go. All right. So Violet, um, I want to know, so you are all about net, the Net Worth Academy, you know, saving money, all that, uh, the wonderful, wonderful stuff that we all need to do, especially in order to keep our marriages healthy. But yes. I want to know back in the day when you were a kid, were you um, like the money kid? Were you? Did you have the giant piggy bank? Did you... No, unfortunately, I grew up in the typical era where no one teaches you about money. You haven't got a clue. And growing up, I was raised by my mom and my mom gave me everything that I needed. So, but having said that, most of my friends were well off. And so when I grew up, they, they used to have all these things that I really liked, but I didn't have. So when I grew up and moved to the United Kingdom, it was freedom. I can do whatever I want. And then that's when, you know, you got all the nice clothes. At some point, I remember going through my wardrobe and I had 40 pairs of Levi jeans all in blue. <laughs> so Whoa. I was never the money kid. 40 pair. All in blue. But my argument now, was it's different shades of blue. That, that was going to be my question. Is this like an Einstein thing where it's mm -hmm. like he wore the same suit every day and he just, had, you know, he just had 40 of the exact same thing? Or is it like there are subtle variations and differences? Oh, there's subtle variations. That's the thing. Um, I am from a background where my body is not the typical shape. So my hips are huge. <laughs> So it's very difficult to find jeans that fit, except Levi's. So when yeah. I found Levi's and it's a cut that I liked, I bought that cut in all the shades that they had in the shop. And you know, jeans are blue. So it will be that cut in all shades. And so I was never the money kid. I love it. Okay, so your parents, you said your were your parents kind of willy-nilly with money too? They just spent whatever they wanted to or were they a little bit more disciplined? I have no idea because um, in primary school, you'd go to school, come back home, you, you've got everything you need. And then secondary school was boarding school. So come time to go to school, you write the list of everything you need for school. So your parent goes through the list. You can't have that. You can't have that. Or you can have that. So how the money came by, I have no idea. <laughs> so it was like, so I write a list. I may get what I want. I may not get some of the things. But my mom, I think, because she raised me on her own, she gave me pretty much everything. So I never lacked. So I've always grown up with, if I want something, there's going to be a way to get it. And yeah. then... <clears throat> Because I grew up in Uganda, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, Uganda is mainly a cash economy. And then I, I moved to the UK whereby, oh, credit card. And a credit card is like when you own a credit card, you're the ink thing or you're part of the, you've made it in life pretty much. So I couldn't wait to get hold of my first credit card, which I did. And then it comes with a limit and then your limit gets increased and getting that limit increases like, yeah 
I'm worthy of. <laughs> I, I, you just got oh, cool. Yeah. You just got cooler and cooler exactly. every time they raise the limit. Exactly. Exactly. So in Uganda, they didn't really do much with credit cards. It's Uganda is mainly cash economy. It's only in the last, I think, probably three or five years that debit cards have even been introduced. Oh wow! Oh, wow. So it's mainly cash. <laughs> I guess, you know, hey, if it works, it's probably actually uh, uh, looking back now with the eyes that you have as a money Mm -hmm. expert, do you think there's actually an advantage to having an all cash interactions as opposed to like the credit and debit cards? Oh, yes, because with cash, you can't spend what you don't have. You either have it or you don't. That's it. That's if you want something, you wait until you have the money to pay for it. There's no easy way around it. Or put it on the credit card and pay it off later. There's none of that. You either have the money or you don't have it. And I think that's brilliant. I saw um, a stat that you had posted on your website that most people have more debt to their name than their annual income. Is that really true? It is because it's so easy. And that's the thing. It's... um, because I think because people get um, caught up in this, as long as I can pay off the credit card at the end of the month in full, I am okay. Yeah. So it's, you pay off the credit card, the whole balance, and then that's whole your entire salary gone. And then it starts again the following month. Sure. And that seems okay. And people live in this illusion that as long as the balance is paid off, it's fine. Yes, yes. And as long as you can keep oh, so it gets to a point maybe you can no longer pay off the balance, but as long as you can still make payments, it's okay. Right. Yeah. Even the though thing, you're getting further in the hole. Exactly. <laughs> and then obviously it comes with the limit increases and then the woman need to do this. And it's because the money is there, it is so easy to get caught up in this. Oh, I've got 20 grand on my credit card. I've got a limit of 40 grand. So it's, Yeah. I'm wondering, so what had you, you said in Uganda, you know, you, you saved, you paid cash, and then you ended up moving to the UK and things sort of shifted. What had you moved to the UK? I kept the, oh, right, is a funny story, actually, because I came to the UK initially because uh, my husband was my boyfriend then. He left oh, Uganda. Now was he in Uganda too? Yeah, he was, we met in Uganda and then he left in October 2000 and then he moved to the UK and I was like oh yeah I'll see you at Christmas and then come Christmas I was like okay I'll see and I had to go through the whole visa application it got granted and I was in the UK for Christmas and then went back and then I was like oh how, how do I spend time with my boyfriend then and then be together you know for a while yeah. so I came to the UK I was like the, at the time I was 22 so I was like, I could enroll into university or do a course. So I would stay in the UK as a student. And then once I finished my studies, I can move back to Uganda. But um, 17 years later, I'm still here. (laughs) So we never got to go back. But yeah, so that's my story. Oh, so you followed it for love. It was for love, yes. Left a very good job. You want to know a secret? What? That's why I went to BG. Oh, for love. Straight up. Straight up. It was, it was, uh, I chased Danielle down and changed schools. Yeah. He was at a university 
And then it really helped that my mom worked there. And so, uh, so like I got, got free tuition, I got, I got serious deal. Like the financial part was pretty good, but, uh, but he changed other than Danielle college was kind of a waste, but you know what? We weren't even dating Violet. He switched for me and we were just friends. Wow. And even, he even got a, a little, um, a dorm right down the hall from me. Yep. It was such a coincidence that he landed right so in the same dorm. Yeah, it was so yeah. coincidental. Yeah, um, she, she bought that for the longest <laughs> time. Like she was like, "That's crazy! Wow!" I'm like thinking, like the first time we ever went out, I told you I'm going to marry you, and then you you buy the coincidence story. Maybe no. I need to rethink this. Okay, I want to know. <laughs> speaking of couple stories, how did you and Emmanuel meet? Ooh. Now, this was in Uganda. I used to work in, um, what were they called? A video rental place. I don't know if you have them in the U.S. A place where you'd come in, borrow a couple of um, VHS steps to go watch and then take back home. And sure. then, yes, I worked in that store. And then he walked into the store. I'm like, wow, what a guy. <laughs> so, and then he, because his friend used to work at the store, he was his friend was my manager. So he'd come to see his friend, and then um, that was 1999 Millennium Night. I remember very well because he asked me, "Can we go Millennium Night?" And that was it. That's a big date. <laughs> apparently, yeah. apparently, the world was supposed to shut down exactly. the next day. So, yeah. For those of you that don't know that are listening to this show, everybody in ni- 1999 and New Year, you basically thought the world was going to blow up. I'm not sure we day. have that many teenagers in our audience that, that, no, that didn't well, live through Or that. they were young and they didn't know like the severity of it. Everybody thought like the computers were going to blow up and it was crazy. So was it, was it that crazy over there? Because over here, I mean, it was people were doomsday prepping. I mean, they were, they were digging bunkers. I mean, it was, it was, there was serious, crazy, like Terminator salvation movie level crazy going on here. Was that, was it like that over Across the pond um, in Uganda. Now that I think it's across about, the pond. <laughs> now I, that I think about I I think I was oblivious to the whole thing because at the at the time I was twenty one, and all I thought of to be honest was clubbing. Where's the next party? And <laughs> okay, fair enough. Sure. <laughs> so honestly, we're like, yeah, the computers are going to crash, but. It was business as usual. I don't know if the adults were doing their stuff. I mean, to be fair, we were probably in about the same position. Yeah, yeah. We were in our early 20s. We were watching this stuff on the TV going, wow. (laughs) Well, all right. If it's going to go down, let's go down raging. Yeah. (laughs) That was pretty much the gist of it. Okay, so you guys fell in love. You ended up both moving to the UK. And then... Uh, what had you start to really focus on the uh, money, the finance kind of thing? Because you said you were just kind of like easy breezy with it. Just get a credit card and let it roll. So what happened was he used to live on his own. I used to live on my own. And But then although he used to live on his own, he used to spend six days out of seven at my place. So it was only logical that we move in together. 
So we moved in together in 2002, July. And at the time, it was a case of you pay half the bills, I'll pay half the bills, or, you know, he's my half of the rent, he's my half sure. of, yeah. But because I started working when I was 19, I've always been this very independent woman, I will happily pay for everything. And so if he gave me the money, his half, it was fine. If he didn't, fine, I'll pay for everything. I'm not asking any man for money. That, that has always been at the, at the back of my mind. Yeah. So things kind of shifted when, um, I don't remember, I think it was 2005 when I fell pregnant with our first child and Emmanuel lost his job and was pretty much the only person working. So that was, it was pretty tough, but, you know, just got on with it, paid the bills and then... How did you do that when you had just had a baby? Did you just go back to work right away? I think I pretty much went back to work at when, when Joshua was three months. Mm-hmm. However, the changing point for me was probably a couple of years later. So although he, he when he said working again, I realized at the time we weren't married, but I really, really wanted to get married. But then he was resistant. And at the time I was praying and I realized I went through a year of knowing you can't get married before you become a wife. So I spent a year learning, you know, what, what is a wife, who is a wife. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, was, yeah. what, that really hit home for me was you've got to let a man be a man. He's supposed to take care of you. And for me, that's when I learned to back down. I'm like, okay, yes, I am independent. I can pay for every single bill, but that I'm not honoring him as the man, as the head of the house. Interesting. Okay. So you said growing up, you always had the attitude of like, I'm not going to have to depend on any man. Like I can do my own thing. I can pay my own way. Like, where do you think that attitude came from? I have no idea. I I think it's pretty much because um, growing up, my mom, I went to uni in Uganda, my first degree, I got it in Uganda. And at the time, we, ha- we had the thing called government sponsorship, whereby you didn't have to pay university fees, but you were asked to make a, con- a small contribution per year. And I remember the first year going to my mom, she was getting, she wasn't feeling well at the time. And I saw how much she was suffering. I was like, you know, mom, don't worry about it. It's such little money. I will sort it out. And that's why I picked that up. I think that was when the penny dropped that from this moment on, I'm going to have to look after myself. So, and I think that was the last time I ever went home and asked for money. And that was at 19. So I grew up with this. It doesn't have to be a man, but I just grew up knowing I have to look after myself. But in Uganda, there's a culture whereby the, girl, the girls expect the men to look after them and <clears throat> they'll do anything for, just to get money off a man. And for me, I'm like, I'm not even going down that road. Mm. I can do pretty much do anything by myself. So what do you mean they thought they would do anything to get money from a man? Like how did that play out? It is just a crazy, crazy um society sometimes whereby you'll find especially at university, so you'll find a girl has a boyfriend at uni, but then she'll have what we call a sugar daddy who funds her lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I know it's crazy. Yeah, over, over here, the kids call that a sugar daddy. Oh, a sugar yeah, daddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. it's actually um, 
one of my guilty pleasures is this podcast. Oh my gosh, I thought you were going to say one of my guilty pleasures is I, no. I have a sugar daddy. Oh, why aren't I wish. You, why, I wish. Why aren't you letting me I in wish. on some of that action? No, one of, one of my guilty pleasures is this stupid inane podcast. These, okay, don't name it. I won't name it. Please. It's it's very entertaining and I think that's their point. So it, it's it's entertaining in a stupid inane way. So I, I don't mean that as an insult kind of um but they they it's there's a there's a, a very it's like a growing look, thing like they're looking for sugar daddies yeah it's a it's a growing thing amongst the the younger the i hate saying that the younger generation but it's a growing thing in our culture yeah. uh, in in the states are and essentially like girls looking for a sugar daddy okay to, so you're saying the girls in uganda had like a love boyfriend, like mm-hmm. somebody they actually loved, like at school, yeah. and then they had a sugar daddy that who knows what they were doing for that money. Pretty much, yes. Yes. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. So you went countercultural. You were like, I don't like how this is going down. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to be part of this scene. I'm going to do something different. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so, pretty much, yeah. I say working at, yeah, when I was young, and that has always been the case. You and your spouse could be just one conversation away from becoming soulmates. Whoa, honey, that's a big promise. I know, to make. but I'm making it. All right, but we have been using this one simple, powerful tool for almost a decade. It's radically transformed our relationship and hundreds of other marriages, too. Yes. You see, in the chaos and busyness of everyday life, we all get wrapped up in these five-second conversations. Did you take out the trash? What? Did you schedule a doctor's appointment? Yes. Did you get their milk on the way home? What? No. Wait. Who? What? See, Why are you I doing mean, this to we me? we get stuck in those five-second conversations. <laughs> I'm having a little, a little moment here now. Uh, but the truth is that more intimacy and connection begins with more conversations that matter. And that's what the Sachet Check-In Guide is all about. All right. So get your free copy of our guide, From Roommates to Soulmates, How to Create More Intimacy and Connection in Your Marriage in Five Minutes Without Awkwardness or Ugly Fights Using the Sachet Check-In. You can get your copy today at legendarymarriage.com slash check-in. And now back to the show. I think I think uh, I'll speak to this from the masculine perspective, sure. not for Emmanuel, but but just for myself and for you know the the work that I've done with men over the years. Uh, I think yes, um, uh, every man has that that thing in him that wants to to work, to provide, to be the the hero, to 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 protect and and lead and guide and be the be the man. In in all the ways that that means, uh, and there are some unhealthy things that that get wrapped up in our culture around around what be the man means, um, and when we struggle in that area around provision, yes, it does trigger insecurities, mm. and this is the the second and so the third point, um, a, a man who knows who he is pushes through those insecurities let's as woman bring home the bacon i i don't think let or <laughs> embraces it i i think doesn't let it dr- drive him to to weird false masculine macho 
Yeah. Gooberhead, gooberhead behavior. I like what you said, Violet. Like, you guys just cheer on each other to yeah. be the best versions of each other. Yes. So if he's in that place where he's like, I just want you to do what you love, do what's best. And, you know, if you do make more money than me, then you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. So how did you start really getting like ruthless about like where our money's going, debt, all that kind of stuff? Cause I know you loved your credit cards. Cause when Emmanuel was at working, he needed to he was working on getting his driver's license, <clears throat> which he put pretty much on a credit card, and then he lost his job. So the creditors were calling, and then because we were one an one income family with a young child, so the debt piled on as well at the time. And yeah, that's when things started to change because you can when your cards are maxed out, you can't borrow any more money. Right. Right. And so how did you, how did you even know where to start with that? Because you said you had kind of leaned into your credit cards. Like, how do you know what to do to turn it around? And to turn it around, I think when you hit rock bottom, you're like, what next? And what really helped were, was a charity organization in the UK called Pay Plan. So we called them up and it was nice talking to someone who understands and they look at all that you owe, you bring it all together and what income you've got and they negotiate with your creditors on your behalf. So you make one payment to them, which they distribute to your creditors. So that was, so that, was that made life a lot easier because we we're trying to keep up with the minimum payments and it just wasn't happening. And then yeah. Come. Now you you were talking about how debt is such a big problem. Like no matter UK, US, wherever, like just debt is just a problem. Um, how do you advise your clients um, as far as debt is concerned? Because some people say like, oh, well, it's a tool. And some people say like, oh, well, like you said, as long as you pay the minimum payments, you're fine. Mm. Um how do you advise as far as tackling the whole debt thing? I think it just comes down to look at your life later. What do you really want? Is the fact that for as long as you owe money, you are a slave. Mm. And it's just how do you identify with that slave feeling? And I must say, I haven't got, we haven't got ourselves all fixed, but we've learned so much. Mm-hmm. In, in the whole process and also it's for me what makes me cringe is the fact that debt becomes so easy whereby one of the default settings as long as I've got a credit card I've got my emergency fund sorted it doesn't work like that your emergency fund should be your own liquid cash not your overdraft or your credit card because mm-hmm. I often hear people say I've got a credit card for emergencies it's just for emergencies and and that kind of takes away from actually putting money aside for emergencies, your right. own hard and money, not debt. Well, and also I feel like some people, when you say the word to them, budget or, you know, something like that, it's like, it makes you cringe, your skin crawls. You, you like feel like so you're, many getting, things. you're getting nailed into a coffin somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, people like you say, um, getting out of debt is freedom. 
And yeah. how do you ruthlessly like budget and all that stuff, but you experience freedom at the yeah. same time? Because it feels very constricting sometimes to think about budgets. Um, a budget doesn't have to be called a budget. It's called a spending plan. You can call it a spending plan. And it's, it's called, the same thing, right, Violet? It's the same thing, but we all understand things differently. Oh, call it whatever you need to call it. <laughs> if you don't like the word budget, call it a spending plan. And yeah. then I picked this. One of the tools I love is WineUp. You need a budget. So with WineUp, they say, because WineUp is American, they say give every dollar a job. So I, for me, I teach it, give every pound a job. Every penny should have a job. Even miscellaneous should have should have money allocated to that category. So it's telling your money what to do rather than figuring out where has it all gone before I told it what to do. Mm -hmm. And then also it's also learning to save before you spend. And then for me, another one that, um, this is a sticky one. The tithe, the tithe, give 10%. I know some people are like, you don't, how can you tithe when you're in debt? What I found though is, if, this is now just a personal story. If I don't tithe, I will get a parking ticket or something random will happen and the money will go anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a universal law, but it sure seems like there's something there uh yeah yeah my air conditioning broke oh great okay um I guess I was that was supposed to be my tithe money that's really an interesting interesting point um okay all right so don't so if you don't tithe you're getting a parking ticket that is the lesson we take from this one no I I get what you're saying I'm wondering how about you you had brought this up before we jumped on the recording together. You said um, something that you come in contact with a lot of times with your clients is that one person knows all the finances and the other person knows nothing. Yeah. Um, now, is it usually the men or the women? Like this is from where I come from. Women, we are taught always have your fun just in case the man leaves you. And then the the man, it's like your wife or the woman doesn't need to know how much money you have. That's none of her business. All you need to do is take care of the home. And then there's also the woman looking at it like the man is supposed to take care of every single bill in the house. I don't care how he does it. That's his business. My money is my money and his money is our money. So it's... So your money, so as a woman, so this is, you're saying this from how you grew up in Uganda. So like your money is your money. Yeah. But the man's money is, is supposed to take care of everybody. Yeah. Is our money. Interesting. I think there, there's, I, I think that's, I'm not sure that's limited to to one particular culture, geographic yeah. area or culture or race or anything like that because i because like i've hear i've heard all these different kind of perspectives from all kinds of different people and then probably like uh you were saying a male female kind of thing too it maybe also has to do with like 
you said you shared like you're really good with it. You're really good with money and budgeting and everything. And but what if that's not your husband's, you know, gifting? Maybe he doesn't really have a heart or a mind for it. Um, can he just say like, oh, Violet, you just I know you've got it under control. You take it. How does that hit you if he were to say, you know, you just you just own it all. I'm going to just trust you. Um, how does that how does that register for you? Well, that's my life every day for the last. Is it really? So he doesn't yeah. he doesn't really have much to do with the finances. Not really. Um, in his mind, he's like, we don't need two people looking after the finances. You're the finance person. Everything is sorted. So there will be times when I need to do something for me and I'll ask him, can I spend money on this thing? And his approach is, as long as you can make the budget work, I trust you. And in a way, it's, some people say it's a good thing. Sometimes personally, I find it frustrating because I think if it's our money, we need to sit down and look, it, look at it together rather than one person trusting the other one to look. Yeah. after things because anything can happen anything can go wrong anything who knows yeah two heads are better than one or mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm just kind of thinking too is like if you guys both have like dreams or goals that you're going after i don't know it, it feels kind of like the other person is checking out or they're like not in it with you. Like if you're like, Hey, we, I want to save up. We're going to take the kids to, you know, the beach for, you know, vacation or something like that. And only the one person is responsible for getting you on track and make sure you're, you know, getting the right stuff saved and, you know, all that. And the other person's just like, Oh, do whatever. Um, I don't know. It feels somehow like you're you're left in it by yourself um i think from the perspective of the person who's looking after the finances i think it's always best to involve the other party just for their opinion so for example we are going on vacation where do we go i've seen this deal that deal so it's not just a money thing but which is the best deal for us how do we make this work or we want to pay 500 pounds for this but it's you know it will be a stretch how else can we make it happen or how else can we be more efficient with the money so although I've got the budget on paper I think it's always good to discuss where the money is going at least have an idea rather than sitting back and saying it's all sorted yeah. and I think it's also the responsibility of the person who's doing the finances to check in with the other party or even because there's there's always a danger of falling into the habit of he always says yes or she will say yes, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, I, I'm the one who does it. But when that happens, it's very easy to take the other person for granted. And that's, and it's because it's you in a marriage together, mm-hmm. but even if you're the one who's you know paying the bills, it's your money together. The other person needs to have a say as well, or at least have an idea of what's going on. Yeah, You know, I, I think about it this way. We've been in times, seasons of our life together where we've had plenty of resources, plenty of money. Sure. We've been in seasons where we could certainly use a little bit more or a lot more. 
And uh, I like, I just don't know. I can't imagine uh, a, a, a number big enough for me to go. Yeah. There's just no sense in worrying about any of it. Just do whatever we want. Because the fact is there, I, I can, I can spend a, I could spend a lot of money if I, if I didn't have governors on things. Yeah. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I could spend a lot of money like right now today. And I'm just not sure that there is a number. And, and so I say that jokingly, but but really, whether you're whether you're in your your total family income is five figures, six figures, seven figures, eight figures, ten figures, whatever, is there an is there a number where you just go, hey, we've got more money than we know what to do with? Because wow. I mean, I can, like I said, I can I can think of things to do with money. I, I can yeah, but you know what? If you're super if you're super wealthy and you make some stupid mistakes, you could be in a whole heap of trouble, not yeah. only just with your spouse, but like the government. And you, know I mean? yeah. you can make some really bad yeah. mistakes. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also good to be accountable to one another as well. Mm. We, we all, as individuals, we all have, you know, different dreams, things you want to go after as yourself. However, I think it's just good to have that accountability regardless of whether you have more money than you know what to do with. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And you, um, have you ever had clients or friends that have been in a situation where, you know, they were totally oblivious to what was going on with the finances and it came back to really be a problem? (laughs) I'll share my own story. Um, I think this was maybe about 10 years ago. And I needed to pay for a course. I don't even remember what course it was. And I had the rent money. And I'm like, okay, let me pay for the course. I'll figure out how to pay the rent later. Come the end of the month, the rent wasn't paid for, but I paid for my course. And I had to confess that to Emmanuel and say, look, I spent the rent money. And it wasn't nice. So... That's why these conversations need to happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and again, and this is part of my Enneagram fourness. Yeah. Um, actually, Mike and I were talking about this last night. Um, I can, I can, I can lean into the strategic brain, or, or let's just call it what it is in some ways, rationalizing things. Okay. Sure. I can rationalize things like, hey, I'm going to drop X hundred thousand million dollars on this thing. Uh, because it's going to, it's going to yield this big return on, on such and such. And then the rent problem won't be, it won't be an issue. Yeah, I guess you could do that. I don't know how quick the uh, I just, ROI just saying, is going to be on your course or whatever. I think, I think for us, it's always, we've always been, whether we've got a lot or we've got a little, or we've got less than a little, um, just being on the same page about it has been, so um has been so important so has there ever been a time with any of your clients where it was really a problem that they didn't know the other person's um financial goings on oh yes it happens all the time all the time and so there are cases whereby one spouse passes away and this the remaining part of the couple hasn't got a clue what savings the other person had, 
what investments they had, what debts they even had, or how the bills were being paid for if they were on track, or even who they're insured with, who the landlord is, who the gas company is. And it's crazy as because it's all left to one person and because we don't expect the other person to pass on suddenly, it just creates such an issue whereby the surviving spouse has no idea where to start. So they're grieving, they're looking after the kids, and yet, you know, they don't even know where to look. Yeah. They have no idea. So I know you are always advising people to, like you said, if you're a couple, you know, be on the same page, um, know what the budget situation is. You also talk about money leaks, looking for money leaks that are going on. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, yes. And, and th- those are the things with the money leaks. They sneak in. So for example, the subscriptions, it might be 10 pounds a month. It's It's okay. Or... I'll grab a coffee to work every morning. That's two pounds. It does add up. Or there are situations whereby people subscribe for things. I had a client who did not know they were paying for Audible twice. They didn't know they were paying for Amazon Prime and the wife was also paying for Amazon Prime. Oh, no. (laughs) You know, things like that. So you are in the same household and you're both paying for the same service. And that's because you're not on the same page or you don't open your bank statements or you don't go through where your money is going. It's almost like an audit. Like you have to do an audit of your your checkbook just to go through each of the lines and say, okay, do we know what this is? Do we know what this is? I love that idea. And I know you have a resource um, for people, you know, trying to tackle the whole debt thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, it's a quick get out of debt guide. And and the first step is actually to audit where your money is going. Mm. As in, look at your last three months. See, where do you, are you paying for things you don't need anymore? How much are you spending on eating or eating out? I did an exercise once with someone and she didn't realize she was spending about 400 pounds a month on just eating out. Yeah, it, it, it was such a shock, but it's things like that that people don't realize. So it has to be done as step one. And then step two, which people find very difficult as well, is actually face who you owe money, every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, especially with friends and family, we've, you know, especially with family, they could lend you some money and you forget. Or because there's no time pressure, you're like, it's fine, it's my brother won't mind, dad won't mind, mom won't mind. And it kind of gets forgotten or is not considered debt. So that's step to bring it all together, lay it out on the table and add it all up. Mm. Yeah. Which it's, can be a stark reality check. Well, and it's it's one of those places where shame yes. uh, just creates this, this uh, shutdown for, yeah. for so many yeah, because it is scary when you add up the numbers and like, what? But I pay my credit card every month. No, you still owe the money. So if you didn't have the money to pay the, the balance of how much money have you got left? Yeah. 
So it's just laying it all out and face it as is and say, okay, this is it. <laughs> Take a walk, have a cup of tea or something, and then first reality, add it up, and then create a plan as in yeah. look at how much money do you have coming in, how much do you need to leave, and then what's left over to start tackling whatever you owe. And then even in tackling what you owe, there's always, there are two schools of thought, start with, you know, the highest interest or the small, you know, the smallest debt. But for me, I think it's start with the emotional debt first. Mm. What would you feel lighter paying off? And that is normally pay off your friends, pay off your family. And then I'm a big fan of the snowball method because there's always a kick there's motivation when you keep seeing the numbers going down you pay off once more debt because with the high interest debt it's going to take a while to pay off right that's interesting that you said tackle the most emotionally um almost like draining one first Mm -hmm. because i feel like uh, you really have to have a strong heart to be in this tackling debt business yeah. because um, if you can get your attitude and your heart a little more engaged and light in it, I feel like that's going to take you the distance. <laughs> yeah. It does feel good when you pay off that friend. It really does. Or that family member. And then you can you know, start tackling other debts. Yeah, because not only is you know the financial thing squared away but also there's probably you know your friendship is a little bit yeah. better too yeah exactly your relationship as well yeah. because it's money is one of the things that really destroys relationships because for the person who's borrowed the money you feel uncomfortable being around this person and the person who's lent the money is like well she's doing this yet she still owes me money so it kind of gets funny Yes. And, yeah. it, and it's very difficult to share, say, I went out yesterday with, um, with so-and-so. We had a lovely time when you still owe this other friend money. Or you've had a hard week and you just want to treat yourself to a little luxury and you cannot share that with the person you owe money who was your very good friend. Don't post it on. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it just gets very funny. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, my skin's crawling just thinking about it. Okay. So Violet, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. I want to know what are the best ways for our audience to find you and what you're doing? The best place to find me is via the website, which is www.thinnetworthacademy.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Violet. And, um, we will hit you up on the networthacademy.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been lovely. Okay, so very convicting because I think yeah. if you died, I'm not sure I knew all the accounts and where they are and how to pay stuff. That's troubling. I know, but I'm just saying. I, I it's think a good... you may have some memento about this. Memento, like the movie Memento? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here is the talk about it segment of the show. And now the talk about it segment of the show. Each week we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. Okay. So I don't want you to be clueless like me. If something happens to your spouse, 
that you don't know what all the financial stuff is. Okay, so here's your conversation starter. Where do we need to communicate more clearly about money? Is it budget stuff? Is it where all the accounts are? Don't make the mistake here of trying to go for the whole conversation, by the way. Mm, That's too much. Like, we need to get more clear about our clothing budget. Okay, great. Okay, that's good. Chunk it down. Great. Let's find a time to have that conversation. Oh, that's so amazing. Justin, you're so wise. All right, so... As always, we're talking about all the hot topics in our free community on Facebook. Um, so come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 130. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Dan. Danielle and Justin reminding you, hey, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.